Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Now Playing Book Review, where we're talking about Midnight Sun. I'm Stuart. And this is Jacob. And every time I think I'm out, Stephanie Meyer pulls me back in. She just <laughs> has to keep writing this stuff. She was done, done. I thought Bella, Edward, Renezame, Jacob and his baby love, all of that had been put <laughs> to bed in that weird gargantuan novel that we covered last week that was written 14 years ago. But two years ago, she puts out this. And the gambit is this. There is something new to learn about Twilight by hearing the other voice. We heard Bella's point of view in the 2000 novel. Now we're going to hear Edwards. It should be said, she did this twice. Before we even can talk about Midnight Sun, it's worth pointing out we aren't talking about life and death. Yeah, if you go back to our first book review, I think we did mention we were going to do that. And I did read it. Oh, thank God. I started it. I told you we didn't need to do it. I tried to warn you. (laughs) (laughs) You did. You did. This is what's so annoying, I think, for Jacob, is that Jacob all along was like, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do this. But I'm like, but it's Stephanie Meyer on the 10th anniversary of Twilight putting out a new Twilight book that says it's a reimagining of the story. If you've reimagined something, that to me says podcast. We need to talk about it. So yes, you know, (laughs) I was like, no, we've got to do it. Let's do six shows. And again, it is not a new story. It is autocorrect. It is imagine like taking out certain words and changing names, but producing the same novel and selling it to fans again. Yeah, do a find and replace for Bella and replace it with Bo, Beauford Swan. <laughs> What's weird about it, like, okay, the whole premise is we're going to gender swap everyone from the first Twilight novel, except they don't do it with Bella's parents or Bo's parents, which is really weird. So Charlie could hook up with girl Billy Black at the end of it. Like, there's not a whole lot to say about it. I feel like if I was a a, a real scholar here, I could have put Twilight that next to each other to see how many words actually changed, because I think it's just the name and just the ending. Let's make it real clear for listeners. The first sentence of Twilight, the book... I'd never given much thought to how I would die. The first sentence of life and death, I'd never given much thought to dying. These are the kinds of changes we're talking about. Chapter 12 starts, Billy, Charlie called as soon as he got out of the car. Chapter 12 starts, Bonnie, Charlie called as soon as he got out of his car. The covers, girl holding up red apple, boy holding out green apple. There is a change at the end because this is a done-in-one, like, Beauford will actually get to become a vampire (laughs) at the end, unlike Bella. But here's what stood out to me, and this is, like, my two-minute review because I couldn't do this for 20 minutes for a standalone podcast. Mm, Yeah, I said, I texted you. I'm like, we are not doing this podcast. (laughs) I'm so mad. I stopped after 15 pages. I was furious. But I will say what kind of my thoughts reading it. And look, I know gender and how we identify with that. It's a spectrum. But I, I'm bringing very traditional views here. Like reading this, getting Beauford's point of view, reading it as a male. It didn't feel like something that would appeal to males. It didn't feel like this was male and female behavior when you swapped it. Again, I, I get it. I'm coming from a more traditional point of view. But it just, it didn't feel real to me. Like I didn't want to be Beauford in this. He felt like a very emasculated, weak 
character with almost no personality. Maybe Bella's like that, and I just have this gender bias because she's a female, so okay, that's kind of okay, but no. Reading it as a male and it starring a male now, not good. <laughs> Two things. One, I just want to underline Bella and Edward and Beaufort and Edith. <laughs> like, that Beaufort and Edith is not a classic <laughs> no. love story. That is just... All the names, like Archie instead of Alice, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand any of the name choices. Oh, so bad, so bad. But all right, put all of that aside. If you can somehow stomach these new names, you're right. What What is shocking, what, what underlines what you just said, Jacob, is Stephanie Meyer in the foreword to the book. I go back and I'm like, why did she write this? Yeah, it's the 10th anniversary. Is this really just a, a craven cash grab? What she says in the foreword is, I got tired of being accused of writing a story about a damsel in distress. And so, quote, I've always maintained that it would make no difference if the human were a male or a female. So that is her point, that it is exactly the same and that there is nothing about the main character being male that should change. That's crazy coming from, again, I'm assuming she's a pretty traditional Mormon. Like, they squarely believe in, in difference in gender. And that's even before birth. Like, before you're a male or a female here on Earth, like, you're, you still have gender. So that's crazy. Like, she she seems to have some very liberal views. You're going to get that scene where, instead of Bella, it's Beaufort surrounded by, by a bunch of bikers. I don't think they're going to rape him this time. But Edith drives in to save him. I'm just like, really? Like, I don't know. It, it didn't work for me. I didn't buy it. I think you, uh, again, this is why if we, we would review it if she had reimagined that moment so that it had some realism with the gender flip. As it is, that feels bizarre and unearned. As You just wouldn't accept that. We can't switch Romeo and Juliet and, and flip them and say it's the same story. Like it or not, gender has an impact on outcome and any author ought to know that. Like that seems like an obvious thing to acknowledge. The idea that you would have the exact same results no matter who was better. Bella is kind of stupid. Yeah. But maybe it's better. I didn't finish it. You did. Maybe Life and Death is better <laughs> than Twilight for one important reason. You don't have to read three more books. <laughs> and it's 56 pages shorter. She cut down enough word. She said a lot of what she wanted to change was just that she felt she was a better writer 10 years later. Mm. <laughs> I'm telling you what she wrote in forward. I'm not saying it's okay. true. I'm saying that she cringed when she had to go to book readings and saw, you know, the way that she had formulated passages. So most of the changes are about prose and she made a shorter, tighter, concise one-off because of that. So I guess the next question is, eh, why are we covering Midnight Sun? Because it is also Twilight all over again. The same story, the same beats, only this time we hear Edward and not Bella. And a little bit of the history, I didn't know about this till I read about it. She had been working on this for a long time. Back in like 2008, mm -hmm. 12 chapters had been written and they leaked somehow. They got out and she was so upset. She's like, if I had to finish the book at that moment, I would have had James kill the Colons. She was so upset about that leak. And then like she let a long passage of time go and she's like, okay, I'm going to try it again. In 2015, she goes to Comic-Con when she's going to like take up Midnight Sun again. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about this thing called Fifty Shades of 
gray. Mm. And she's like, oh, so now I'm being upstaged by like fanfic. Like, so finally, I guess in 2020, she got around to finishing it up and getting it published. Yeah, but not only just fanfic, E.L. James, the author of Fifty Shades of Grey, who, yes, was a fan of Twilight and largely just took those ideas and made it an S&M thing, made it a little bit more kinky. She was beating her to the punch. She was rewriting Fifty Shades of Grey from Christian Grey's point of view. Okay, I have not read those books. I don't know whose point of view they're from. Again, imagine the rub of like you're telling fans, hey, I'm going to give you the male perspective and the fangirl has beaten you to it. Yeah, that would make you not want to pursue that project. And Stephanie Meyer did write other things in the meantime. She had something called The Host. Yeah, it's like Alien, Body Snatchers. My wife liked that one more than any of the Twilight books. They made a film of it. I guess it didn't do well. And there was a spy thriller, too, called The Chemist. So she's tried other things. But let's face it, 2020, she knows where she's going to get paid. She's coming back <laughs> to write another Twilight. And this time, she's done us the service of giving us more words. If nothing else, Midnight Sun is 250 pages longer than the original 2005 Twilight novel. Which blows my mind because it's going to cover the same events and we'll talk about it. I feel like a lot of those words are repeated over and over. Like there is one distinct impression I have of this book. But before we get to that, we always talk about these titles and this cover. Mm -hmm. This cover, when I first saw it, uh, I'm not a horticulturist. I thought because it's from Edward's point of view, it's like a rotten apple, like a dead apple inside that they're showing off on the cover. Apparently it's a pomegranate and these are pomegranate seeds referring to a Greek myth. Cut in half, it's still continuing the fruit theme of the first one. But it's gory, right? It's graphic looking. Yes. <laughs> when I saw it, it looked like a skull with, you know, organic matter pouring out of it. Like, it feels like Edward's perspective is violence. Which it is. We'll get into it, but it is. <laughs> Bella's told you that when she looks at this story, it's a biblical myth about temptation, and she holds up an apple, and Edward sees guts and gore pouring out of a pomegranate. And, oh yes, as you said, on page 309, there is a one line, that I, one reference that I could find. One too many pomegranate seeds, and she, meaning Bella, was bound to the underworld with me. No way back, springtime, sunlight, family, future, soul, all stolen from me. Which is referencing this Greek myth of Persephone, who was an innocent mortal girl that was taken down to the underworld by the god of the underworld and kept there. And before she was rescued, she ate six pomegranate seeds and thus has to spend six months of the year down there. It's just basically is a parable about the seasons. I don't know what application that has to Twilight, but I guess it at least personifies the idea that Edward sees himself as a corrupter. Midnight Sun. I know this is a thing. Arctic circles, when you go up to like Alaska in the summer and the sun barely ever sets, you get a midnight sun. Mm -hmm. I went to Iceland and it was really weird. I mean, it was like 1130 at night and bright as day. It's, it is very disorienting. So what, this is the shining thing in, in the darkness <laughs> that, that at sun at midnight. I, I Yeah, trying to figure out what the metaphor is here. I agree, because to me, Edward, this novel particularly would be like the other half of the year where it's noon and it's all black. Like we saw, we had the sun for like 30 minutes and it went down again. That's this novel. This novel isn't brightness in the middle of night. This is darkness in a story that felt like a romance, you know, that now feels super creepy. 
I mean, if we get into the book, it starts right off with Bella walking into that classroom, but this is all from Edward's point of view. You know, he hears whisperings of this new girl. But what is shocking to me when Edward's covering his nose and making that stink face in the movie, like, (laughs) what is he thinking? Well, guess what? You're going to find out what he's thinking in this book. And it's, can I murder everyone in this classroom and kill Bella and get away with it? Like, a whole lot of murder plots going on. (laughs) Yeah, I I want to quote this. Page 12. It would take me at most five seconds to end every life in this room. Long enough for Bella Swan to see briefly what was coming for her. Long enough for her to feel fear. Long enough maybe, if shock didn't freeze her in place, for her to work up a scream. Isn't that sweet? I mean, isn't that exactly (laughs) what you imagine this magical moment to be? I think the biggest stunner, and it is a real risk that Stephanie Meyer is taking here, is that we see very clearly that Edward wants to kill Bella. And again, not in a, like, a I hate you kind of way. He's just Ooh. so in love with that smell of her blood. Like, yeah. it's this uncontrollable urge that just is going to drive. I mean, if you put this in other terms, like, this is not hot or sexy. I don't know if people think this is hot or sexy. Like, this man is so driven by my beauty that he wants to murder me. But, like, if this was put into mortal terms, like, I want to have a non-consensual sexual relationship with this person because they're so beautiful. Like, who wants to read a book about a dude thinking about rape for five 500 pages. It's not quite American Psycho, but I was thinking about that novel a lot <laughs> in the fact that it's this very debaucherous, indulging in violent fantasies against women. Like, why is that something we're being asked to do? Should we also indulge in that fantasy or should we be hoping for salvation? All right, they did this in Fifty Shades of Grey, apparently. I haven't read that one. I did see the movie. Oof. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe. I, I'm No promises. But E.L. James, yeah, you could tell that story again and it wouldn't be shocking to know that the main character character had all these kinky debaucherous ideas because the whole point of that story is that woman's going to save him she's going to redeem him he's eventually going to give up that decadent lifestyle and be pure like her but twilight is the story of a girl who goes the vampire way and so where you start is this is a really awful mentality and bella is going to be corrupted by it It's not just Bella that's being corrupted. I feel like Stephanie Meyer, she's got weird stuff in here. Like, remember, Edward could read minds, and there's that scene where he's trying to change biology classes so he's not with her, and we get to know what, like, the counselor is thinking, and she just wants to bang teenage students at the school. Like, it's real bizarre. (laughs) Is she influenced by Fifty Shades of Grey? Did she feel like, you know what, my fans want something harder edge, and I have to somehow, like, up my game in this department? I do feel like, yeah, there's the influence of Fifty Shades and just the popularity of Twilight. Again, we're going to get Comic-Con references in this one. Like, Edward's going to be real impressed how Bella, like, stands up for her friends that want to go to Comic-Cons. Because that's real nerdy. But, like, yeah, I do feel like she has taken all these influences that she's been forced into because of the popularity of Twilight. And, yeah, has folded them into this book a little bit. And I'll say this much. Dramatically, it makes the idea of returning to this more exciting. If it were just, oh, I love this woman so much and all of that, ooh, what a snore, right? We Nobody wants that book. So the idea that we have Edward come to see Bella as more than odor and meat, how is that going to happen? If he starts with this base, primal, I want to rip your throat open, what this story has to give us is how he comes to see her humanity, how he comes to see something beyond her smell, the psychological attraction. 
all of that kind of just didn't really hit me with the impact. Maybe it would if I read this first before all the other Twilight stuff, because I know where this is going. It's it's stuck in certain confides uh, that it's got to follow to get to those other books. What I thought was interesting, though, like, if you want to make Edward seem super dangerous, I do feel like, like, let's see him kill. And there is that scene with the bikers who harass Bella and Edward comes swooping in. He does go back to them with Carlisle. And like, I'm like, oh, we're going to see him actually get revenge. And this is going to make Edward dangerous. But no, they like just tie him up and like wait for the police to take him. But Edward did want to kill him. And so this is actually one of the most interesting moments in this novel. I think it is the most interesting moment in this novel. Because, it, yeah, we never got it in any of the other ones, because only Edward would know this. Yeah, so just to relive this, in case you've forgotten, so Bella is starting to catch on that supernatural things are happening in Forks, and she goes all the way to this neighboring town in Port Angeles to get a book at a bookstore that's going to teach her about werewolves, and she ends up in a dark alley alone with a guy named Lanny, who asks her to get on the motorcycle bike, and then it starts to look like these men are going to take advantage of her. She's surrounded, and in her mind, Edward rises in, and saves her. What I find interesting, having had this Edward perspective for 175 pages, is how does he have any right to judge Lanny for holding the exact same thoughts he does about Bella? He wants to hurt this girl just as badly as Lanny does. So where does he get off? What hypocrite is he to say, you're the worst person I've ever looked into the mind of? That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, the fact that, again, my impression, if you ask me, what's Midnight Sun about? It's about Edward thinking for 500 pages how he wants to murder this girl he likes. But yes, but you mentioned the fact that he is going to go back. He picks her up and they go and she figures him out and all of that. But what we didn't know in Twilight that we do know in Midnight Sun is that he's going back to Port Angeles to get Lanny. And maybe it's a little bit wussy. It sounds like, Jacob, you were disappointed that Carlisle's influences, rather than murder this guy, the humane (laughs) vegetarian vampire way of doing this is to just like drug them or tie them up and call it in uh, because, of course, they're wanted criminals like it's very convenient that this guy is like wanted in texas and they can just you know call the locals and say this is the guy you've been looking for and he's going back to jail well what if he wasn't that guy i mean like again it's just like it's such a straw man for them to produce lanny in this way to me i'm like actually this was a really interesting moment for edward to reflect on what he is and why he hates it in others And I guess my problem was that he goes with Carlisle, and I do feel like Carlisle is such a force of good, like, it cuts some of the tension. It's kind of like Alice. Like, whenever Alice shows up, you know she's coming to give some important piece of exposition that she's read from, you know, someone's mind. She saw some future. Like, I feel like Carlisle's the same way. If Edward had just gone by himself, I don't know, that could have been a real interesting struggle. The fact that Carlisle is with them, I'm like, well, Carlisle's not going to let murder happen, so we're not going to get that. And maybe that's right. I mean, again, if the idea is eventually this is about a soft of a man with murderous instincts. Maybe this is part of that journey. I don't mind that Carlisle is, you know, he was a hypocrite. One thing we learn here is that we'll get his backstory and he was a zealot that was out to get witches and whatever and then got turned. So I do think that's kind of why he's able to relate to Edward in his dark phase. And we get a lot of the Cullens here. I do think that some of the perspective that is new is we will hear a lot more about, yes, Alice. I'm annoyed by this. All she is is like a... (laughs) 
pop a quarter in her and out pops a vision, right? Like a magic eight ball, <laughs> like shake her up. And now she sees Edward killing Be- Bella. Or now she sees Bella coming between Edward and the family. Like, we know how this ends up. We don't need your prophecies. We read all the damn books. We know he's not going to kill her. Why are you needlessly creating alternate realities you're not going to explore? Yeah, I found this book outside of that scene where he goes after Lanny, that biker, and maybe the opening, because I'm just curious to see, like, yeah, what is going through Edward's thoughts at that moment? I found, like, a lot of this, especially once him and Bella, like, hook up and they go to that dinner and everything, it's going to play out very much the same. I, it kind of gets very tired. I was surprised that Stephanie Meyer couldn't find something more interesting. Like, I feel like we get Edward asking a bunch of questions, and we get to hear Bella's, like, answers, like, what pop culture she likes, and here you go, like, you want to dive into Mormonism. Stephanie Meyer, I'm guessing she's Gen X like us. Mm-hmm. I know, like, when when I was in college around a bunch of Mormons, you know what two movies they like to quote all the time? Some of Bella's favorites here. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> for some reason, in Mormonism, that is huge. Really? At least with the Gen Xers. I don't get it. I mean, I love that film. I grew up on it, but it had I wasn't introduced to it through other Mormons. And then the other one is The Princess Bride, though Bella says she only likes the book version, not the movie version. But Princess Bride, ooh boy, the, I, if I ever have to hear that movie quoted again, I might lose it. Hmm, interesting. Yes, I agree with you. It is incredibly disappointing, even if you are a fan of this. And I'll just put it out there. I'm not. But I try to keep that perspective of wanting to relive and seeing something new of how little new there is offered here. Like, okay, you're you're writing 658 pages. Go through the whole saga. Skip to the parts where Edward's perspective change matters. Skip over the ideas of like him. How many like nights do we need of him hovering over her bed? Like that doesn't help his case. He ends up looking more creepy in this thing because he is stalking her and, and using the knowledge of reading other people's minds to manipulate her like this is not making him look like a better partner for him skip over some of this creepy stuff and see his perspective evolve i don't believe we really ever see him it's it's not a mental attraction it's a physical attraction the reason why he loves bella so much is because she stinks a certain way and he doesn't (laughs) even know what she thinks it is not a mental uh, romance and i think that that's crushing to think that stephanie meyer can only conceive of true love as how someone looks i mean it's in like like how many scenes do we get of rosalie too and how angry she is at edward for liking a plain girl more than her because she's so pretty Yeah, I thought there would be a lot more interesting things done through his perspective. Like, for one, and you talk about maybe combining all the books into one, or, yeah, do something different, because I feel like you get Twilight, you get a little bit of Jacob in Twilight, but his story's really in New Moon, Mm -hmm. and... I want to know more about what Edward thinks of that whole, like, werewolf situation. And Jacob is barely in this book. There's, like, a couple mentions. But, yeah, I want to know, what does he think of this Native American tribe of shapeshifters? And there's more interesting things to explore than what music Bella likes. That's exactly right, is that you can't tell me Twilight wasn't sold as a romantic triangle between vampire, werewolf, and human. And the werewolf, any of that, because they only focus on Twilight. And Stephanie Meyer, God bless her, says she's not not going to write the other novels from Edward's perspective. So this isn't the beginning of a trend. This is all that we're ever going to get on Edward's perspective. <laughs> well, then, then jump to the interesting parts. You're right. Don't get caught up in the puppy love stuff. Go where we would think it would be relevant to hear his thoughts. And, you know, again, like poor Emmett, right? I keep waiting for his backstory. I get nothing given to Emmett. He got attacked by a bear. That's it. 
That's it. I, again, she has no curiosity about anyone other than Bella. Edwards, all his thoughts, his entire life are about Bella. Are about Bella. If you wanted to know what Edward thought, he likes Bella. And he likes Bella for superficial reasons. That is crushing, I think. And he super wants to murder Bella for half the book. <laughs> yes, there's a violent S&M side that might turn you on or might make you think, you know, I don't really like this anymore. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to land with audiences 15 years after they fell in love with these characters in 2005. I just, I couldn't imagine this improving your perspective of the romance. Again, Stephanie, don't do first person. I didn't like it when you switched over to Jacob and Breaking Dawn. Like, nothing interesting is done with these people's thoughts, no matter who they are. Like, give me third person omniscient where, yeah, you, you could just incorporate all this into one. And I don't have to read Jacob's perspective in a book and Edward's perspective in another book. And Bella's like, just combine it all. And in the end, the truth is Edward sees her as she sees herself. This representation of purity that's irresistible. And so it's just an unedited stream of uh, gushing that I certainly didn't need. It feels like fanfic, honestly. It feels like the author has become uh, the fangirl. And that's sad. I mean, I don't know how the host is. I don't know how the chemist is. I really wish that she could move on beyond this. Stephanie Meyer does say she has two more Twilight books planned. I don't know what they are but it's not going to be this gimmick at least and I don't know that we're going to come back to do it I'll be honest I've enjoyed talking <laughs> to you Jacob about this it's helped me appreciate the movies and I'm here to say please find the $10 so you can hear us talk about Breaking Dawn Part 2 this Friday yeah, I'm guessing we'll only do them if they get turned into movies and we have to review those movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, oh boy, I have been, let me just say the enthusiasm meter jumps up much higher with this conclusion. There are things here <laughs> that are, I get, I, I think I hoped that it would be what was in all the movies, but they saved the best for last. Yeah, you're talking about Breaking Dawn Part 2. I was blown away by Breaking Dawn Part 1. This is a different tone, but it's just as crazy. It is off the rails and really would love to, to join in one more time. Even if you think you hate Twilight, maybe even especially if you hate Twilight. Learn the real reasons to hate Twilight. I, that's, that's what I feel like. Forget about like, ooh, they sparkle. Like, no, there's real reasons to criticize this franchise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Put aside your superficial concerns and dive deep into how extraordinarily bad something can be. Um, I hope you join <laughs> us for that. And Jacob, thank you for joining me for these five podcasts. It's been a lot of fun. Yep, thank you. Until we talk again on Now Playing Book Review, keep reading. Thank you for listening to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more than 150 more book reviews, including many of the works of Stephen King, the Ian Fleming Bond books, the Planet of the Apes novels, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, and many more. Enjoy movies? The Books and Nachos hosts have done more than 1,200 movie reviews, which you can also find at our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. This episode of Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews is copyright 2022, Venganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, redistributed, or modified without the express permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. <laughs>